didn't say go to the bathroom before you come either. <laughs> so I'm feeling bad for you now. Um, okay, so if you're listening, uh, I just turned this on, and um, we are an hour in. But what's been going on is just um, playing, actually. Having fun, right? Raise your hand if you had fun. How come you only raise your hand when, when he does it? But when I'm up here and I say, how many of you had fun, you all just stare at me. What is that? He's more fun. Thank you. Thank you. I needed that. So thank you to Brian for stepping in for me. Um, and Brian will be doing that again next week. Cool. So anyway, I, I started to, I don't see this and then the others, but I started to say, when, when your vocabulary starts developing, and, and you just, all you need to do is grab some of these words. For example, what is that? What is that? No, that would be petty. Alongside, it, on behalf of what the kids it is, I'm trying to remember ever seeing that. And I'm sure it's in there, but I honestly can't remember the place. So it's almost always alongside. Um, and when it's in a compound word, once again, I can think of a lot of words, but I can't think of any that aren't alongside. So that's by far the dominant meaning. So when you see a compound word and it starts with that, then you're halfway there, even if you don't know the rest of it. And a lot of times you can literally figure out the meaning of a new word by context if you know this much of it. Then there's others like first syllable or second syllable? Yeah, first, yeah. Okay, sounded right, but didn't know if I was influencing myself. So that's height or keris if we're speaking English. And what does it mean? Okay, it means something else, though. What is grace? It's a gift. So it also means gift. So it can be grace in the theological sense, or gift as a, um, one of the words. There's another word that is used also that is a simple, here, I'm giving you this. Okay? And the, the two are linked. So you think about the idea of grace, which is that which is uh, free, that we, we don't earn that, something we don't deserve. It's a gift. And that's, that's the whole point. So those two words come together. What is a gift? If you get a gift, how do you feel? I mean, let's assume you like it. How do you feel? Happy. What is a deeper word for happy? Joy. So the Greek word for joy is the same. It's a, it's a little different, but the same root. Chara, or chara, depending on placement in the sentence. Um, there's even a little variant. Did you run into this one? Yeah, it looks more There's an addition of a little iota there, um, but it is a... Um, a greeting. And many cultures will, will give you a greeting like um, joy to you. Okay? Can you think of a culture that does something like that? 
words that mean that, along with other meanings. Shalom is similar. It's, it's more peace than, than joy. What? Aloha? Yeah. That's one of the meanings of it, and that's why they use it as a, as a greeting. So the Greeks would greet people, and the greeting was derived from the same word as gift and joy. So you, you get this one root word, and then it gets used in a lot of different ways. And you'll see that happen uh, many different times through the vocabulary um, when, once you get into the lesser words, meaning the ones that are not used as often. Okay, so let's see. We did the, uh, the uh, words and sentences for fun. Did you put a sentence up? I did. I said John Fortune. How'd it go?
All right. Uh, let's go ahead and take a little bit early break at 7.40. Let's try to be back at 7.50. And we're going to then enter into the wonderful world of conjugation. Um, yes, that's, that's pretty much all you can say about that, isn't it? So for those of you who are listening to the recording, that first part really wasn't worth it, was it? <laughs> so turning you off right now, I'll see you uh, in 10 minutes. There we go. So, listen to this line like I never said it before. Tonight we enter into the wonderful world of verb endings. I just thought that was a cool way of saying it, you know. And in order to do that, first we have to review some things. Because if you look at the handout in front of you, uh, pretty much the things that we've got to review are the ones in English. The ones in Greek, we'll figure that out. But English, first it starts with present. What is present? What, what is present? What part of verb, what, what description of verb, aspect of verb? No. Well, now you're defining present, which is accurate, but not what I'm fishing for. Thank you. It is tense. And so we've got present, and then imperfect, and then future, and then aorist, and then perfect, and pluperfect. Okay? Now, we're not going to get to all of this tonight, because at a certain point, it's going to feel like Novocaine on your brain. So I'm going to present parts of this, and then um, we'll, we'll have a little fun with this kind of thing, and then um, probably call it a day or a night at that point. Now, there's active. See, somebody said active. Um, active, middle, and passive, apparently. There's supposed to be an I in there. That's passive. Active, middle, and passive are what? With voice, okay? Active voice is... What? What's doing action? The subject is acting. Passive, subject's being acted upon. Middle, that's the one that we, we get hung up on the most. It's actually rather simple. Right. It's reflexive. So the, the subject is both acting and receiving the action. I hit myself. I cut myself. I laughed at myself. Okay? All of those are middle. And then on the left, you've got um, abbreviations. So IND period stands for indicative. And indicative is what? Right. Making it just a, a plain statement. I've heard it says statement of fact. Okay. Not always, but... Then there's sub. What does that stand for? Subjunctive. And subjunctive is what? It is one of the uncertainties, and uncertainty 
when. Okay. It, it, it tends to be the future. Um, the word should in an academic sense as opposed to an imperative sense. Um, should I decide to do this? Um, should you decide to take this class? Should you take that job? Then this. So those are all subjunctive mood. Okay? And that's what these on the left are. They're moods. So the one is it's, it's just a uh, straightforward, more or less factual presentation. The other is don't know. Maybe it's going to happen. Maybe it's not. Then there's optative. And optative is also like the subjunctive. It is indetermined still. So can anybody think of optative in, in an example? May it never be. Or you may decide to do this. So, yeah, generally for English, throw the word may in, and, and it's probably optative. Um, if you're having a hard time figuring out, well, what's the difference between that and subjunctive, join the club. Because the, the difference is, it's minute. And in many cases, for our purposes in English, it is meaningless. The difference is meaningless. The word's not, but. And then there's improve. What is the improve mood? Imperative. So what is imperative? Command. It's insistence. Do this. And how would a plural imperative be? It, it, you, you might use something like you do this or in, in places I've been in growing up, y'all do this, okay, as opposed to you independent or individually. But now, what if it's plural but it is first person? suggest something to somebody that includes you, if you want to tell somebody, we need to do this, okay, we must, or let's do this, and a more formal, um, and you'll see this translating a number of passages, let us, and then fill in the blank, okay, and that, is, that, that sounds somewhat contingent, but it is imperative. It's intended to, to say we're going to. Okay? Um, infinitive. And what preposition probably if it's direction? Yeah, almost always two. 
but not always. And in fact, there's some idiom with the infinitive and certain other prepositions that we're going to look at probably right after Thanksgiving. By the way, we're not meeting on Thanksgiving. Have you guys realized that already? Uh, don't, don't come Thanksgiving night. Just, just don't do that. Hmm? Well, if you all come and bring your leftovers, you can meet out there. If you talk Brian into coming, he can open it up. Because I ain't going to be here. Okay. There you go. And then there's participle. What is participle? Okay. <laughs> it's, it's typically going to end with ing. It has to do with a, an ongoing state. Um, so somebody give me a, a participle. I'm learning Greek. Okay. I am learning Greek. So it is clearly verbal, right? I mean, a, a verb. I am state of being learning. I am the state of learning. And that's basically what a participle is supposed to be. Participles, however, can be used, feels a little awkward in English, but it, it's done. Um, it can be used for a noun. So the ones who are learning, but doesn't necessarily have to be the ones. So it could, in, the, in the Greek, it could just be the and then uh, learning with a, a participle ending, depending on which tense and so forth. So it looks like the learning, but what it's translated at is the ones who are learning or the learning ones. Does that make sense? So keep that in mind because you're going to actually see endings that are consistent with that, and there's times when... It's, it's going to be translated that way with the, usually you're going to add ones, the, the whatever ones to it. All right. So we started to talk about the verb or the uh, tense present. What exactly does present indicate? Okay, linear is the key word. It is right now, except right now is never right now, because as soon as I say right now, it's already gone. So the, the, theoretically, right now is not a point. Right now is this. So whenever you see something that is present, you've got to ask yourself, is it a simple present that's simply in, intending to say that, or is it something intending to indicate an ongoing and not just indicate an ongoing activity, but emphasize an ongoing activity. Can anybody think of, we, we've given several examples of that. Can anybody think of one of them? Pardon? Okay. And like what? Hmm? We should be praying all the time. So, for example, First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Is that uh, a participle? There's actually a participle there. Ironically, it's not pray. So go back to that simple test for English, I-N-G. Pray without ceasing. So what's the participle in that? 
ceasing. So it's the unceasing ones. Pray as one unceasing, one who's unstoppable, one who does not stop. Jesus said in Matthew 7.21 that it is not those who call out to him, Lord, Lord, who will inherit the kingdom. There's many people who call Jesus Lord who will not inherit the kingdom. He said that very clearly. So who will? Anybody remember the passage? The ones doing the will of the Father. So it's, it's an ongoing thing. And that's why it's usually translated practicing. Okay? All right. So let's look at the endings, and I'm not going to do a lot, just kind of point out a few things. And then we're going to move to some of the other uh, patterns. And one of the things that you need to do is look for patterns because they will help you. However, that said, um, as soon as I say look for patterns and they'll help you, what else do you think I'm going to say? Except for the exceptions. So don't fit the patterns. Um, and if there's enough exceptions, then they simply say, okay, that's a second conjugation or something like that. But if there's, if there's exceptions that there's not enough of, then they just call them exceptions. One way or the other, don't get too comfortable with it. We're starting with the most common endings for a verb. And we're starting with the verb of the noun, pistis. What is that word? Faith. So the verb is to faith. Right? Isn't it? Well, that's a different word in English. It really is to faith. Awkward as it sounds. But we find other words because it sounds awkward, which is one of the reasons people don't know what faith means. Because we substitute other words that have both denotation and connotation that are not the same in English, and, and we don't ever correct that. So we're going to go with pistevo. Yes, there's all sorts of little bugs in here. So pistevo is what's called the lexical form. Did anybody notice uh, how I pronounced that, by the way, that diphthong? Pistevo. Because I'm a ventriloquist. Pistevo. Pistevo. Or? Pisteuo. I'm sorry, that's hard to say. I pronounced everything. I just didn't pronounce it the same way. <laughs> That's an Ypsilon or Upsilon, depending on how you're pronouncing it, right? And so it, it is pronounced in Erasmian as a vowel, and this is eu, okay? But a modern Greek would pronounce that diphthong ev, ev. So if you're pronouncing it in the modern pronunciation, pistevo. Okay, the rest of it's pretty much the same way as the Erasmians, I believe. So, pistevo is, I say, the lexical form. What does lexical form mean? 
and I give you a hint, you've got all sorts of English words telling you right here on the paper. What tense is the lexical form? Thank you. So it's present. What else? What other English words are in there? <laughs> Active. What else? Hmm? It's not middle. It is indicative. In that individual. Good grief. So it's present, it's active, it's indicative. What else is it? This part isn't labeled, so let me help you. The left column, when you see those under active, the left, co left column are singular and the right column are plural. So it's singular, but before we get to that, the first one is first person. Then underneath it is second person, and underneath that is third person. So you've got three. So the first one in the first column, first person singular. Now the, the reason you need to know that is because if you look this word up in a typical lexicon, it is not going to give you all of the various endings that might be in use because this is how many it has to give you. See? And by the way, this isn't all of them, but one word. All of these are the same word, just different verb endings. So in order to make life a whole lot simpler, it gives you one rendering, and it's always going to be the present active indicative, indicative first person singular. So whenever you see the lexical form, you're there. And that means that when you see that um, what's the last letter? Omega. This is not a W. <laughs> it is an omega. When you see that omega, you're, you're dealing with a common verb almost all the time. Why do they say almost? Because there's exceptions. Yes. There's almost always exceptions. Yes. One just has to learn, doesn't one? Okay, so, pistevo... Um, if the verb is um, faith, but faith sounds so awkward, so we will go ahead and say believe, um, what would pistevo translate to if it's present, active, indicative, first person, singular? I believe. So it's pretty simple, right? It's, it's active. It's me, first person. It's present. Now, that you don't hear with I believe. Because you could theoretically translate um, aorist active indicative, I believe. What would be the difference? Linear versus what? 
And what would the word for nonlinear be? Punctiliar or pointed, if you prefer. Punctiliar just sounds so much more academic. Right? Okay. So you've got linear and you've got punctiliar. So how would you draw I believe out to be linear? We just discussed one way right before we went to this. You make it a participle. I am believing. So with a participle, you've got to add some form of the verb to be. So it's I am, and then believing, and you would actually add a participle ending if you're saying that in Greek. Okay. But to translate it, you could say that if you wanted to. Um, another is, I keep on believing. I continue to believe. I practice believing. How do you know which of those would be the best translation? Context. Yeah, 100% context. I've watched translators from Lockman Foundation work on this. Not on this passage, but translation. Um, and that's exactly what they do. They sit around. They all agree on what the base meaning is. But, okay, how would you express that in English the best way? Or I actually watched one group who was translating it into Spanish. How would you, you know, I couldn't understand most of it, but that's, they're asking the same question. How do you take this concept we all get now in Greek and make it sound the, the most accurate and yet also the most understandable and readable in whatever other language? So imagine trying to translate this into Indonesian. By the way, there's not Indonesian. There's like 100, probably way more than 100 Indonesian languages. Um, and so you're going to have a hard time because it's very obscure. Okay? All right, now, Arist. How would you say, I believe, in such a way that in English it's clearly Arist or Punctiliar. I believed. Okay. Now that sounds past. And as soon as you say it, it is. Because it's not linear, it's not continuing as present is. But it can be, see, I believe. You know, see, I touched it. And as I said it, I'm doing it. It's, it's obviously quite present, except now that I've said it, it's in the past, it's done. Yeah, I touch it. I touched it. That's why I say I'm trying to make it sound dearest. So if I want it to sound dearest, I'm probably going to say ED on the end. Because if I say I touch it, it sounds more present. It's not necessarily, by the way, but it sounds it. Yes, I just said it. No, it's not past. I don't remember. Imperfect can be past. Yeah. The, it, past is, is not, to, to use past as a tense is to oversimplify whatever other tense you're actually describing. Even in English. What? Of course. Yeah. But we're so into using present that because they do use it instead of another word like eris. So, okay, whatever. I'm not going to invent my own word. The, the concept is still there, and we, we need to get hold of the concept. 
For example, I, I sin. What's it? You hope? Why for you hope? Oh, okay. So if I sin is present, I'm telling you this is a, an ongoing state. I'm continuing it. Okay? And by the way, the implication, I guess it's not 100%, but it is an implication, is that there's a willingness to it. And so frequently it would be translated, I practice sin. Do you know anybody practicing sin? I know a lot of people practicing sin. They're getting better and better at it. Okay? Some of those people have the same sin issue that I have. And I sin. But it's heirist instead of ongoing. Which means I, you know, I'm tempted to, I was stuck into it, I have to own responsibility, but once I did it, I immediately stopped it and I said, I don't want to do that. I repent. And that is, that is key because without repentance, it's not heiress, folks. It's ongoing. So repentance has to happen. If you read First John, you're going to see all sorts of references to people um, walking in the light or the darkness, people practicing uh, the light, people practicing sin or people sinning. Um, you're going to hear things like, if you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. But you're also going to hear, um, he who sins and claims to walk in the, dark, in, in the light is a liar. It kind of sounds like they got me both ways, doesn't it? Except one of those means, if you don't recognize or admit you've ever sinned, the truth isn't in you. We've all got to recognize that because we're in a fallen state. And if I say I don't need forgiveness, I've never done anything that requires forgiveness, um, I'm in a fallen state. I have sinned. That's a scriptural certainty. And I refuse to admit it and therefore to deal with it. That's present ongoing. But if it's, if it's heiress, then I sinned, but I repented. And that's, you know, so if I say I have no sin or I've never sinned, okay, then I'm lying. That's error. But if I continue to sin, if I can add that word continue for clarification, then I can't claim to belong to Jesus. The entire book of 1 John was basically restating that premise over and over and over. Go back and read it sometime. It's fascinating. It also fills in, by the way, what belonging to Jesus and what I call practicing Jesus looks like. Because John understood that. It's not just a matter of saying, I'm not going to sin. What am I going to do instead? So I'm now practicing righteousness, or as Jesus said in Matthew 7.21, practicing the will of the Father. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden the present uh, heiress thing becomes huge. Very important to understand the difference. Okay, let's leave that for right now. Just look at some of the endings. Um, still singular, but second person. The ending is the epsilon yota sigma. So 
you've got pistevo, the lexical form, and then you've got pistevis. And you, you will find this sometimes, by the way, actually written this way, uh, just to save the, the printer or whatever from having to redo the word so many times. So pistevis would be translated what? If it's second person singular. You believe. Okay. And if it's indicative, is it a statement or a query? Or a query? Question. Oh. Oh. If it is a question, it is still indicative. How do you know if that's saying you believe or do you believe? Context. Or if you're reading a modern one like, may I? Like this one, then it's going to be like this. That's a question mark. Remember, we talked about that several weeks ago. Um, and also remember, that is a, a translator's edition. There are no punctuation marks in Uncio, which means the original documents did not have that. So the translators looking at the word, deciding clearly from the context it is a question, and adding a question mark for us. And then the English translators have a tendency to follow that, although not always. And so that's why sometimes you'll find, like NASB, saying something as a statement, and maybe NIV or some other, saying the very same thing as a question. How important is that? Nobody wants to say? They're all going. Yeah. You eat hot dogs. Or do you eat hot dogs? How important is that? Yeah, just, the world's not really going to rise and fall on that one, is it? You believe. Do you believe? Much more important. So once again, context. Context, 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 context. Translators rely on context for an enormous amount of what they're saying. And we need to do the same thing as we understand that. Okay, third person, singular. Just adds that, which means it's the same as the second, except you drop the sigma. Piste de Okay? So how would you say third person singular of the verb believe? He, she, or it? Pick one. It's just a lot easier. He believes. I mean, honestly, I, I don't say this sarcastically. When I write, I make a, um, a concerted effort to look over what I'm writing if I'm doing more than a paragraph and just interchange the pronouns. Yeah. It's almost never going to be it, by the way. Um, I suppose you could technically do an it if it's a technon. Because technon is neuter. So it would be it. 
but when we translate it because that's so foreign to our culture, we wouldn't translate it that way anyway. So in English, in third person, we have to add an S for it to make sense, but in Greek, you have to drop the signal for it to make sense. No, for it to be that. For it to be right. Makes sense, otherwise it just doesn't say the same thing. Okay. But, uh, I mean, you can, you can do that if you want, <clears throat> except, remember that whole, yeah, exception thing. Um, and remember this, that sigmas and s's are not the same thing. So that's entirely coincidental. And that's fine if it's a, if, as a mnemonic device. If it works for you, that's great. But just keep in mind, it's coincidental. There, there's no big meaning to s and sigma in those two uh, usages. Okay, now look over to the right, the three words to the right. There's pistevomen, there's pistevete, and there's pistevusi. Those are plural. So we believe, y'all believe, they believe, or it's, them it's believe. I mean, he just wanted to stay with that it thing. All right? Now, let's go to middle and passive. And in this case, the middle and passive um, are the same. They're not going to be the same all the time. Um, turn a page, don't yet, but when you turn a page, you'll find three columns for many of the others, and clearly they're not the same. Bistevomat. Now, how did Brian pronounce that earlier? What? My. Okay. So modern Greeks, um, it, it's kind of a lazy thing. And again, almost always the, the newer is going to be lazier. My takes, it, it's a hard sound. It takes more effort to say. So if you step in that, it's not, it doesn't take near as much effort to say, which is why that's how they pronounce it now. Pistevomet is... Um, Singular, but, I mean, I'm sorry, first person, but middle or passive. So what would that look like? I myself believe. Um, yeah, that's actually still um, active. It adds, by the way, it usually that would add another pronoun in Greek. They would say that as a way of emphasizing, but it's just emphasis. How about if I believe myself? Have you ever said something like, did you hear yourself? You know, I can't even believe what you're saying. I don't even believe you. I don't think you even believe it. What did we just say? We said that we don't think they believe themselves. Or passive, I am believed. See? I'm not doing the believing. It's passive. Does that make sense? I'm the one who's acting, but I'm also the receiving the action. Okay. Subject, and, and no. subject and object. Okay. That's 
Is that oversimplification? Does that work all the time? Subjects and objects are metal. I can't think of an. Uh, I, I want to. I just want to say, but there might be exceptions, but I can't think of one. So I'll just say there might be exceptions just to sort of cover myself there. Okay. So again, you've got first, second, and third, um, singular and plural. So that's why you've got six of those. Then you've got the subjunctive. Now, all the way through here, this is the root word. Um, the good news is, with many vowels, or, or many verbs, that's true. Okay? The bad news is what? Yeah, it's, it's not always. <laughs> so, there's times when, if you're going to try to memorize all of these, it's not going to be a simple matter of adding these endings to whatever root you're using. But many times it will be. And in this case, that's one of the reasons pistevo is being used. Um, and so if you've got subjunctive, notice what first person subjunctive present is. Yeah. It's identical. How do you know the difference? Context. Yes, over and over and over and over. Um, if you look at, look right to the next with the plural, pistevelmen, what's the plural of first person? In English. We. So in, what you've got is instead of an omega, or excuse me, an omicron in indicative, you've got an omega being used. And then instead of an eta, you've got what? I'm sorry, instead of an epsilon. Yeah, I messed you up. You've got an eta. Okay? So what you're doing with a subjunctive is you're hardening it. You're hardening that vowel that begins the ending. Okay? Again, most of the time. And you'll see that over in the... Yes. Those little, what looks like little marks are Yerosetskas. Which is, in fact, a type of diphthong. But it is actually written instead of the iota on the same line with the iota tucked in underneath the vowel. Okay? Okay. Um, I'm not going to go over every one of these because it would, it would be meaningless, I think. Um, notice, though, some patterns like um, look over to the middle and passive and the plural. Pistevomatha. 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 Do you see it? Actually, I'm sorry, it's pistevimatha. So that matha is consistent across. When you see matha, it's first person plural. Almost all the time. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying that. Okay. Um, infinitive. Um, the infinitive ending for um, 
indicative is that. Period. That's it. So whenever you see that, um, you've got a very, 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 very strong chance. So how do you know, and don't just say context because it's true, but there's something about the context. How do you know it's an infinitive? What other word? Yeah, it's going to have a preposition with it. And so when you see that preposition coupled with that ending after pistev, so pistevin, then you know for sure then that is the infinitive. Okay? And then you see the participle, uh, participle ending on or ominous. Okay, look down at imperfect. What is the big first thing you see different than the whole set of words above? Pardon? No, you've got the same number of voices, but yeah. It's got a prefix with the epsilon. So this is still the root, but before the root is a prefix. And you're going to see that again in other, other ways. But for imperfect, it's going to be a simple epsilon. And um, so now we know by, by seeing this um, and recognizing the endings that it is imperfect. Imperfect is translated how for the verb believe. Let's say first person, present, no, not present. First, first person, imperfect, active, indicative. Yeah. I was believing. Not I have. That's, that's not imperfect. That's typically going to be perfect, but not imperfect. So I have means it's wrapped up. It does not necessarily mean it's punctiliar. Why? Well, if, if, if I have, I suppose it could. I have and I still am. Um, but you would have to have the end and still am. Okay? Um, I've studied Greek. Was that punctiliar? No. That may mean um, three months. That may mean three years. That may mean half a life. But the way it's said gives you the idea that at least in some way it's been kind of wrapped up in a package, that there's a, a sense of completion. Hence, it's perfect, meaning uh, the, the Greek word that's translated perfect literally means complete. It doesn't mean without flaw. And that's where that perfect as tense comes from. So imperfect, if perfect is complete, what is imperfect? Incomplete. I was studying Greek. What's the implication of that? I stopped it, probably without completing what I intended. So if I was um, trying to do a degree, then, yeah, I was studying Greek, 
the, the, what you would expect to see in the next part of the sentence is the reason that I didn't finish it. Okay? I just didn't have time, or it drove me crazy, or whatever. See? So when we're looking at imperfect, it's incomplete. It's unfinished. There is a way, and, and I'm not going to go into it because it's rather obscure, there is a way that that can actually not be passed. Okay. So imperfect, the primary thing to look at is adding that epsilon at the beginning. Um, you'll see epsilon figuring very prominently in the endings as well. Do you see it? Okay. Now, flip over, look at future with me. This has typos on it. That's not right. Person active indicative. Brian? Yeah. yeah. It's missing a sigma, isn't it? Okay, so this has got a typo. So what it says is this. You see? What it should say is that. Because that is the primary differentiation. It's got a sigma. When you add that sigma, before the rest of the ending, that is, at least with these endings, did you catch what I just said? Because there's going to be another one where you see that too. With these endings, that means it's future. So instead of pistevo, it's pistevso. You hear? So write down somewhere on that, correct that and correct the one under. It's not pistevis, it's pistevsis should have a sigma again after the root word. And I think as I'm scanning this, the rest of them do. So why that happened, I don't know, but hey. Is everybody good with that? Because I'm not going to spend any more time on it. I'm going to let you play with the endings. And, and really, it's just a matter of memorizing them. Okay? All right. Then we'll get arrest. We'll probably stop there. What? Okay. Arrest also has that epsilon at the beginning. In some cases, well, at least the indicative does. In some cases, it's going to be hardened. So instead of an epsilon, you're going to see eta. And which one it is, is entirely dependent on what comes before it. Or, did the verb already have an epsilon? So if the verb itself had an epsilon, it's not, it's not a prefix, it's just part of the verb. Then adding another epsilon, in essence, hardens it into an eta. Does that make sense? Because I'm, I'm, okay, are you guys having fun? 
Yeah, see, that's what happens right there. Because when I said, are, does that make sense? See, the looks on your faces, they were not encouraging. Okay. In the aorist indicative, epsilon is going to be added as a prefix to the root word. Unless two things happen, one or two things happen. Sometimes it's the ending that comes before it. More often, it's the verb itself has an epsilon to begin with. I mean, that's the first letter of the verb. It's not with pistebo. But if the first letter of the verb is epsilon, it's not going to be epsilon, epsilon. That's, it's too awkward to say that. So what they do is they simply say it harder. So instead of, in essence, a soft E, it's a hard E. You will see that with other vowels, but not near as often. So they will write it as a Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it will not be written epsilon, epsilon. You're not going to see that as a prefix to a verb. Does that make sense? Everybody, are we together on that? Okay. Because I'm going to leave you in a second here, and I don't want to leave you long. Now, if you look at the ending, you'll notice two things. One is there's a sigma, and the other is there's an alpha. <laughs> so, epistepsa which is not the way to pronounce it. I, I pronounce saw with emphasis for the purpose of pointing out the ending. So it's epistepsa. But that saw, that uh, sigma alpha, is uh, a, a giveaway that this is aorist. Then below, and there's another. That should have been a um, terminal sigma, not a regular sigma. Epistepsa. And then epistepsa. So that last one has an epsilon instead of an alpha. And you'll notice that now you'll start seeing a few other places where there's no alpha. Now look at the passive. And what you're going to see mostly there is a theta, eta. When you see this together, that is typical sign that you're in the passive mood. Okay? So you'll see that all the way down. Unless, look down, for example, at optative. Instead of theta eta, theta epsilon iota. You see it? Look at optative, go all the way to the right side. It depends on who you're asking. Yeah. I would pronounce that word pistefin. No, so the, the diphthong, the eta, no, the epsilon iota, excuse me, diphthong, would be a diphthong and would be simply uh, a long e. And I think you guys would say more like A? Uh, yeah. It would sound like A, because what, what they're trying to do, as he pointed out earlier, is actually pronounce each vowel. 
So what they're trying to do is pronounce both the epsilon and the ota, but unless you do that extraordinarily slowly and awkwardly, it comes out as more like a long A. Does that make sense? with the theta. Eta is, is, in modern Greek, pronounced as a long E. So it's like two syllables of long E. I didn't say that. Where are you seeing two syllables of long E? Well, yes, I, was, I was pointing out epsilon iota diphthong. Yeah, right. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I see that. Yeah, eta after. Yeah. So it'd be, it would just steam. Well, if you listen to it closely, it's almost like um, E with an apostrophe E. Kind of like the Hawaiian. How do you spell Hawaii? How do you spell it? Aha, uh -huh, thingy! Yeah, well, I call it an apostrophe, but, you know, in Hawaiian, I don't know what it's called. An up thingy, apparently. Um, so, yes, you're going to put that little mark there. That little mark has two purposes. In English, it almost always represents a contraction we just, or a possessive. Um, we, we, we're not putting something else there. But it can also represent um, kind of a, saying a breath. Would, would, would that be the right way to say that? Hawaii. Yeah, yeah a, very, a very brief pause. So it's not a, it's not a true pause. You're not saying Hawaii. E. It's Hawaii. And if you listen to Hawaiians, it's almost a staccato. Hawaii. Is the way they're going to say that. And it's Hawaii. But they say it much faster than that. Okay? So, thing. All right. Real quick, flip it over. We're, we're going to be spending more time on this, folks. Don't. You see. When you say it's really, really quick. Can I comment? Um, the indicative, the way you get the air in Thomas, 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 you get the air in I'm sure somewhere linguistically there's a reason for it. I have absolutely no concept of what that reason is. Okay. Now, look at perfect real quick and allow me to point a couple of things out about the perfect. What do you see first? First was kind of a hint. Oh, you who doubt yourself. I've heard two or three of you say it already, but not loud enough for the mic to pick it up, so you haven't really said it. Well, it's not, yeah, it's the, it's the P epsilon, not just the P or the pi. So it's that prefix, pet. And that is a tip-off that you're looking at perfect tense. Now, another tip-off is look at the ending and it's got two things. One of them, I think all the time, and the other one most of the time. 
the, the all the time would be the kappa. So pet and ka. And then the endings are going to be dominated with alpha. So here's something that you discussed earlier. What is that word? I don't care how you pronounce it. Just Eureka. What? Eureka. Eureka. That's exactly how we would pronounce it in English, too. Because we have an, an English uh, exclamation that comes directly from the Greek. We just give it English letters. Eureka. Okay? Um, modern would be Eureka. So it, it, that diphthong changes just a little bit into the ev instead of the u, but you still got the ka, okay? Now, what you don't have is pe. And one of the reasons you don't have pe is because it doesn't start with a consonant. Actually, it's the reason, okay? So... It, you're, I'm, I'm using a word for this paradigm on here that does start with a consonant. So with a consonant, uh, you're going to have papa. It's going to be a double. If you don't have the consonant, you just don't have that. So what tips you that this is perfect is what? What? Yeah, kappa and alpha. And since it's kappa and alpha together, and since you've got a chart in front of you, how would you um, conjugate this? I just told you the tense. It's first person. What? Well, I, perfect is the tense. What mood is it? Indicative. What voice is it? It's active. Okay, now, how would you translate first person, active, indicative, perfect? Oh, I'm sorry. What is this word? You guys earlier talked about it. Found, find, discovered. Okay. I have found it. Okay, so was it Euripides? Archimedes. Archimedes. Okay, isn't he the guy? It was about the bathtub and the crown and figured out water displacement as a way of measuring. I don't know. He was a Greek guy. He had a Greek name, and he said that. At least the legend says. Legend says he jumped out of his bathtub and ran naked through the streets, yelling Eureka or Eureka, which probably gained some little attention. Yeah. I found it. I found it. Okay. Well, he was on a project, for, as the story goes, he was, he was on a project for the king with no little amount of pressure being applied. So pretty important that he found it. king had already expressed his displeasure to the people who had failed him. You guys, do, you, do you know the story? How many of you know the story? 
Okay. King had, king had given him a crown. said, I want to know how much gold is in my crown. A solid gold crown. How much is it? By, by volume. How do I know? It's irregular. It's, you know, you, you, all of the ways of measuring volume are out. So he, he was pondering, 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 sat down into a bathtub, watched the water go up. Click. Displacement. You can tell the volume of an object by how much it displaces the water. Even giant objects, aircraft carriers, go into the millions of, um, I don't know what, millions of what? Not, it's, not, it's not pounds, tons of displacement. So that's how much is there. Okay? So that's how that whole principle came about, at least as the legend goes. So, ka becomes very, very important. Now, pluperfect has the kappa and the epsilon iota, but it also has sometimes an epsilon prefix. That's why it's in parentheses. Okay. Now, what I'd like you to do is start with present, and, and memorize present. And then feel free to do imperfect. There's not that much of it. Um, I would go to Arist after that and then go to future. Because Aaron, you're going to find a whole lot of Arist. <laughs> and it, it's, the more you can recognize, the better. What mood do you suppose is most common? And you would have your hopes realized. <laughs> well, that's not absolutely, because the next one is not necessarily the, the second most common, uh, the subjunctive. But definitely memorize the indicative. Okay? If you don't want to memorize all the subjunctive and the optative, uh, um, okay. You're going to decide in here how much you memorize. This is not a course where you have to memorize all of this to pass it. Um, take Greek 1 at any college or seminary, and you will have to do exactly that. Okay? So once again, that's why those guys have such high blood pressure. Um, but for us, go with the ones you're going to see the most. Present active indicative is the lexical form because it is by far the most common. So look at those, okay? Look at the variants like first person, second person, third person, singular, plural. Um, then look at things like the aorist and the future. Look at, um, when you're looking at all of these, look at imperative because it is very, very good to know what the imperative looks like. Look at the infinitive. You will see a lot of infinitives. And they're easy because there's not near as many of them. Um, the participle. Hint. Menos. Whenever you see menos, that's like ing. Not the only ending for a participle. But it is the most common. So you want to memorize those things. That way, when you see these words, you're a step ahead. You've got the biggest 
bunch of stuff already in your head. And then the more obscure stuff, you can always spend time going back and ferreting it out. Okay? Questions? Yeah. yeah. Is that a curiosity? Because I've never heard of it in my life. What is super? What does that mean? I'm not even sure I can define it well for you right now. I was going to redefine that before I came over, and I ended up spending more time at Storehouse, which tells you how common it is. Path perfect. Well, except perfect in English sounds past anyway. So does it have a, an English um, translation or an English ending? There you go. It's had. By the way, I got that before I looked it up. It just popped into my head when you said that. Had is as opposed to have. I had studied Greek. So now it's in the past. I have studied Greek has the possibility of continual, although it, it sounds like it's wrapped up. But I had pretty much definitely says it's wrapped up. Ms. O'Neill would be both horrified and proud. Wherever you are, Ms. O'Neill, thank you. English teacher, high school English teacher. Last I heard she was a dealer in Vegas. <laughs> kind of high school I went to, what can I tell you? That's actually quite true. <laughs> okay, any other questions? Now, that's your question, not mine. Now, I, let me reinforce a couple of things. I'm not going to uh, continue. Um, I'm going to give you guys a little out again. Um, one of these days, I have to keep you till midnight because I keep giving you half an hour off. But if you look at the agenda for tonight, I had intended to do some practicing. I want to give you a chance to at least get to know the major endings. And uh, so next week... We will definitely do that, and most of the words that I bring you will not be obscure, which, of course, implies that one or two will be, just because it wouldn't be any fun otherwise. Um, so we're going to do, do that as an exercise next week. But the more you memorize of this, the more you don't have to look up. That's the bottom line. You decide how important that is to you because in the near future, we're going to start studying, meaning I'm going to give you tools and you're going to look it up. We're not going to do it as a group. I'm not going to coach you along and tell you. You're going to find out and then you're going to figure out, okay, if that's what it is, what does it mean? Okay? I mean, in other words, how do you say it in English? Does that make sense? So... 
Now, this would be a good time, though, to address, yeah, why, why are we doing this again? Um, why are you doing this? When you first came into this, why did you come to take this class? Okay, to better understand the word. Has anybody actually spent time applying what we've learned already? New Testament Greek, it's not going to happen. You're not going to think in Greek. Why? That's the why. I mean, we speak it to each other a little bit by talking about it, but we're not speaking the language. The language is 2,000 years old. It's a dead language. Okay. Modern Greek, of course, is derived from Kine Greek, so there's similarities, but that's not what we're actually speaking. If, we, if you learn to speak modern Greek, you still are not speaking Kine Greek. And so you're, you would think in modern Greek, not in Kine Greek. It's different. But you will start learning some things and thinking some things, and the more you practice it, the more. I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's times I'll go to the board to write the English word, and I write the English word with um, half English, half Greek letters. <laughs> I'm going... Uh, wait, what, something's wrong there. And I, I literally have to stop and think about it for a minute. That's a good thing. What it means is you're getting, if that starts happening to you, you're getting really used to using the alphabet. And the alphabet is good for you. I, by the way, I have actually find a, found a number of just flat-out errors in some of the primary study tools that we use. When you're going to the English and there's this word, and yeah, that's not the word. Because I got the, the Greek text right there. That's not the word. Where'd they get that? Yeah, have you ever heard of uh, G-I-G-O? Garbage in, garbage out. Everything that you're reading is some human put that there. And humans make errors. So, you know, I've had this happen with people studying with uh, different online study tools. Yeah, but it says this, okay? I'm, I'm happy it says that. That's not even close to the right word. I mean, it, it, it would be a word that, you know, maybe you're, you're talking forgiveness and the word is table or something. It's just that different. Um, and it, again, it's obviously human error. But when we can read it for ourselves, we cut that out. The other thing that's going on is we're beginning, even by talking these tenses, we're beginning to pick up more of the culture of the time. They thought the way we're talking, they thought linear and points in time. That's why 
President and Eric is so big a deal with them. Because they thought that way. And that means that what we're seeing in Scripture is reflective of that. Because the Holy Spirit used real people expressing how they thought. So, the more I understand that, the more I understand what's being said. And you guys are already a lot farther down that line than you think you are. You know, I don't know if you're half full or half empty people. If you're half empty people, you're, you're just flat out vacuum right now because we just threw something at you that's got all of those endings and you haven't memorized any of them. And so how in the world can I do this? You're not half empty. You're just like, it, it's a vacuum. There's nothing in there. As soon as you start recognizing those patterns, though, that changes. And again, for our purpose, so what if you don't recognize exactly the difference between ace and e as suffix, excuse me, suffixes? You're going to recognize the general difference. You're going to see them as verb endings. And the only thing you're going to walk away going, okay, is that, is that second person or third person? And again, you're going to have tools that will tell you that. So it's not a big deal. When I learned this 40 years ago, I had tools too. They were a lot harder to use than the ones I've got now because I had to play the flip game through all those pages. Um, and you may choose to stay with those tools. That's fine. That's still going to take you all of 15 seconds. I mean, literally, 15 seconds. And then you've got it. On top of that, you're learning vocabulary. Why do you suppose I did that whole thing with Haris a little while ago? Do you remember me doing a little thing with Haris? Shaking my confidence here, folks. And it's an important concept because it's a set of words. So we need to see the link between those words. The, the, the word grace, the concept of grace, you, you can't understand in Christianity, you cannot understand your relationship with God without that word. And so many people teach grace and don't get, it means gift. That's pretty hard and fast. There's, there's no ambiguity to that. A lot of the rest of it, there's ambiguity. There is a large, large concentration of people in the world who claim to be Christian who teach that grace is an economy. It is uh, measurable, quantifiable. The more of it you have, the more pleasing you are to God. The less you have, the less pleasing. Therefore, you need to do things to get more. Right? Because, after all, it's pleasing to God. I mean, if you buy the premise, that makes plenty of sense. What's wrong with the premise? You can't get more. It's not quantifiable, and it's not economic. It's not something you can get or earn. Doesn't matter what you do. It's not possible. The very word means you can't do it. So any theological system built on that, or any set belief, even if our theological system doesn't believe that, 
is automatically wrong. And we can challenge that and know that the Holy Spirit is sending us a message. So when you're on your deathbed, or you're you're heading into surgery, one of the first times I ever prayed with somebody as a minister, I had just been hired full-time at Calvary Christian Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And I get a phone call from a guy in Iowa who's a preacher. He's 300 miles away. And he says, you know, I, I just looked up your, your church in the Yellow Pages and uh, my father is in such and such hospital, um, hospital I knew, because it was in Omaha. And he's, you know, he's 70, and he's 76, 77 years old. He's going in for a heart bypass. They're telling him he may not make it. Um, he'll probably make it, but it's possible because he's, he's pretty old and pretty weak. His heart's already done, had damage done. Would you go out and just pray with him? What's the answer to that, by the way? Of course. So well, I go out to pray with this guy. I'm 23 years old. You know, He's literally more than three times older than I am. Um, and I go out to reassure him. And boy, did he need it. This guy had been a Christian literally more than twice as long as I had been alive. And the whole time he's saying, please pray that God will accept me. Please pray that God will forgive me. Please pray for me. He was scared snotless. Because in all those years he'd been a Christian, using the word grace, he never understood grace. The concept. The cultural thing. Because when you get that, you get grace equals gift. And you understand that God willingly, lovingly, with hilarity, gives this gift. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to beg him for it. We don't have to hope he gives it. We don't have to to pray, 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 almost like a mantra, thinking somehow we're going to tire him out and he's going to finally give us grace. He's already done it. And the more we understand the culture, the more we'll get things like that. I can right now, literally off the top of my head, list a dozen different major concepts of faith that... If we get the words and we get the understanding of their culture about the words, it changes how we see it. Does that make sense? And you guys are already on the road to that. So you you need to hear that. You may not feel like you are, but believe me, you are. Okay? And you will feel it a lot more by the time we're done because we're going to be spending a fair amount of time playing with it. Right now we're still, unfortunately, doing some of this introductory, looking at all these overwhelming sheets of endings, and I haven't even come close to giving you all of them. Brian, do you have the big um, chart or the slide rule thing? No. Okay. Yeah, have you seen it? Yeah. There's a slide rule you can buy with uh, all, I don't know if it's got them all, but it's got pretty much all of the endings. It's hilarious. It's huge. And uh, it's like this big and like that thick, and it, it, it's just got them all there, you know. Um, I I had the chart. I paid my own. Yeah. I, I threw them all away 
when I got it electronically, I could just hover the cursor over it, and there it was. Okay. 9.13. Shall we call it a day, a night, a done? Or do you want to stay and kill more bugs? <laughs> thank you, guys. And Brian, once again, thank you. I do appreciate it.